Well, let's pray yet again, shall we? Father, we are so grateful for these truths about which we've sung in the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are so grateful to be your church. It's with humility and quietness that we take our Bibles now and we willingly receive your word and we ask you to do a work among us. I pray especially for our young people today that that they would receive the word in the spirit with which it is intended and that your Holy Spirit would take it and, and encourage them with it. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I had a package show up at my office a while back, and uh, it was from one of our missionaries, Dennis Kirkland. I opened up the package, and in the package was just a, an old Coca-Cola bottle. And I was like, well, what is this? And there was a note attached to it, and I read the note, and it just absolutely touched my heart. And this Coca-Cola bottle now has a special place on the shelf in my office, along with many other things that have a special place on my office. This Coca-Cola bottle is out of the jungles of Guam and was thrown down by a GI in World War II. And they found it, and he cleaned it up and sent it to me. And I thought about, wonder which boy drank that. I'll bet it was warm. I wonder if he made it home. You know, I think that if he made it home and he walked up the driveway and across the yard and the screen door slammed and he could smell what his house smelled like, I'll bet he was really glad to be home. I'll bet you after being in the jungles of Guam, if he made it home, and if he had a mom and dad back home, he was so happy to be with them. Isn't it funny how things like that just change our hearts? You've got to figure the boy might have been 18, 19 years old. You know that? He might have been right at the apex of idiocy. Remember our chart last week? <laughs> but everything changed. A whole new perspective on who his mom and dad were and how much they meant to him. I'm speaking specifically to the young people today, and I, I don't know if one message can change your perspective, but that's what I'm after. I, I want to give you today a whole new perspective about your mom and dad. And I hope that somehow through the Spirit of God, using the Word of God and the testimony of Scripture, that it can be demonstrated today that um, the greatest resource in your life, young people, is your mom and dad. I want you to know before I start this sermon that it, it, there's going to be some parts that are going to come, could come across pretty negative, both from the Word of God and potentially from me. I want you to know that I love young people. I love young people. I gave the strongest years of my adult life to young people, age 22 to 36, in full-time youth ministry. And we worked hard and fast, and we had a lot of fun, and we by God's grace, touched a lot of lives. In fact, when I was leaving youth ministry and coming over here to fellowship, I wasn't 100% sure what God was doing with my life. And there's been times when I've thought, oh, I should have never got out of youth ministry. 
And I'll say to Janet, I should just be a youth pastor. And she'll say, be quiet and go study. And she's pretty right, I think. I mean, she's always right. So young people, I want you to know that today's message is not coming at you uh, uh, as a beat down. It's not, I, I don't have a big club in my hand to come just wail a fire out of you. Um, I, I want you to get God's word today. I want you to hear it. I want you to have a new perspective about what God thinks. And I'm especially addressing teenage rebellion. I recognize that young people are growing up, they're changing, that part of being 13, 14, 15, 16 means that you're no longer 6, 7, 8, 9, that you can do things you didn't get to used to do and you're almost ready to do some things that you can't quite do and you think you're ready and your parents don't think you are and, and then you're 16 and you ought to drive. Everybody ought to drive when they're 16, right? Whoever made that law? And And you're just taking on more responsibility and... You have more capacity, and you're developing, and you're growing, and your knowledge base is growing, and yet immaturity is still deeply embedded. And so it can be difficult to get along with your mom and dad, and you just don't think they know very much, and you're learning a lot, and you're real sure there's a whole bunch of things they don't know anything about. And so it's easy to get angry, and it's easy to get frustrated, and it's easy to let it boil over. And so I want to specifically speak to our young people today, and I want to encourage you. I want you to hear God's word, because I want you to know straight up front that nowhere in God's word does it ever say that there's a window of three or four or five years where we're allowed to be rebellious. It's just not there. And in fact, if you will... Humble your heart and respect what God has to say and turn your hearts in a new open way towards your parents. It will actually preserve and bless your life. It will not ruin your good times. So I was thinking about um, how are we going to tackle this? And I, I thought, you know, um, maybe we have an example. Maybe we have an example in the word of God of a rebellious teenager. And I thought, yes, we do. That rebellious teenager is Samson. And so will you turn to Judges chapter 14 in your Bible, please? Judges chapter 14. And there we have our text today. And you're going to need to listen quickly for us to get through our message And you have chosen the right service today because we haven't even come close to getting through this message in services one or two. Um, And so um, when the time comes for you to get up and leave, just get up and leave. And I'll keep preaching because I promised them it would be on the Internet in its entirety. And I don't really know when it ends uh, yet. So um, we were only able to get through point four A so far. So this is your lucky day. You came to the right service. And uh, we're just going to take a run at it here again. And uh, I'll do my best to be reasonable. In looking at scripture, Samson provides us uh, an example of a rebel. And I thought that it would be valuable for us to just profile, profile what a rebel looks like. What are some of the ways that he thinks? What are some of the things that you can always predict will happen in a rebel? And so young people, your job is to identify and say, is that me? Do I do that? Am I like that? It's also possible that we have some older rebels here and the principles might apply. 
I'm going to read the text, chapter 14. We're going to use chapter 14 as our text, even though we won't get through all of it. You know this story quite well, but I want to say a couple things about it so that you know what we're doing. First of all, it's in the book of Judges. Judges, you isn't what kind of name is that it's not because god is judging people in there although the judgment of god is there so remember that israel had been led by moses moses dies general joshua takes over joshua leads into the promised land with the children of israel in the book of joshua right before judges joshua stands up in his old age at the end of his leadership life right before he dies he calls on the nation to follow hard after god and for all the parents to teach their children and that's where he says those famous words that many of you have plaques in your homes and it says as for me and my house we will serve the lord But then he dies, and then all the generation of Joshua died off, and then all the younger people started doing what was right in their own eyes. And the book of Judges is a book of cycles. It is of people getting far from God, and then God raises up a judge. That's why it's called the book of Judges. It's the story of the judges that God raises up to call the people back from their rebellion and their far-reaching sinful lifestyles and call them back and then God blesses them for a while and then that judge dies and then the people do what's right in their own eyes and then they get far from God and they copy their pagan neighbors and they do everything the pagans do and then a judge gets raised up there's many interesting stories of these judges one of the judges is a guy who it says he was left-handed his name was Ehud he's the guy that snuck up on King Agag and stuck him in the belly with his dagger and it says he went in so deep that the fat of King Agag came around his hand. That's all just in the Bible. That's what we taught our third graders today in Sunday school. Bible stories. Bible stories. It's all good. So Samson, you kind of know about him a good bit. You especially know about Samson and Delilah. Samson was a judge that God was raising up. He's one of the babies that was born with a miraculous birth. There are four or five of those stories in scripture. Parents who were barren, mothers who were barren, and and fathers and mothers who were aged, and they begged God to give them a child. And God gives these folks a baby, and they name him Samson, and they do something else that you need to know. They commit him, under the instruction of God, to being what's called a Nazarite. And he is to live out the vow of a Nazarite. You can read about this if you want to write this on your notes. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 2 through 6. Numbers 6, 2 through 6. We're not going to turn there. But the Nazarite vow meant three things were true. And for Samson, it was going to be true from birth on the rest of his life. It was a lifelong Nazarite Nazarite vow. Most people took the Nazarite vow just for a window of time to show their commitment to God. Samson was under it for his whole life. It meant, number one, that he was never to have a razor touch his head. He was never to cut his hair. That's what you know the most about Samson. Long-haired, powerful guy. Okay? And when Delilah cut off his hair... He went weak. It wasn't so much that the hair was magic. It was the defilement of his Nazarite vow and the removal of the blessing of God because he did not handle with sacredness the vow of his youth. And so he was never to have his hair cut. Secondly, he was never to eat of the fruit of the vine. 
anything that could be fermented. He was absolutely not to eat, drink anything with alcohol in it, anything fermented. And also in number six there, you'll read it, it says, don't even eat the skins of the grapes or the seeds. You're not even supposed to do that. The third thing you were supposed to do is you were to refrain ever from touching a dead human corpse. Particularly, and in general, you were to not touch dead things, dead carcasses of animals. Specifically in the Nazarite vow, it, it, I, it was mostly about human bodies. But we also know under Levitical law that if you touched any dead animal of any kind, you were ceremonially unclean. And so the Nazarite refrained from touching anything dead. That gives you a little bit of context to understand who this guy is, what his life was all about. He was committed, so you can imagine as he grew up, his parents would tell him why his hair was long, why he wasn't allowed to drink fruit of the vine, and why he was to avoid touching dead things. And I'm sure that they went to great length to make sure that he understood this and that he avoided these things. There's going to be one other verse in, the, in there that I want to talk about right now before we read, and it is this. You see why we only got through point 4a. It's verse 4. Take a look. Let your eyes just skip ahead to verse 4, because it's an unusual verse. When Samson approaches his father and mother with a bad attitude here in a moment, the writer of Judges adds kind of a footnote. It says, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So the question is, was it God's will, was it God's will for him to go down to Timnah and seek out a wife from among the pagans, or was it not God's will? Because his father really reacts against it, as we're going to read in a minute here. And it says there then, but his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he, what's the... Who is the antecedent of he? Is it Samson or is it Yahweh? Students disagree with that. I think that it's Yahweh God. For God was seeking opportunity through Samson against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled. So one of the reasons, the main reason that God was at work in this superhuman strength in Samson and raising him up as a judge was to call the people Israel back to righteousness and to bring condemnation on the Philistines who were under the judgment of God. And so Samson was going to be powerfully used of God to wipe them off the face of the earth. Their sin had run out in God's mercy time time track. And it was time for the wages of their sin to bring death. I hold to the fact that he disobeyed his parents, he dishonored his parents, and it was indeed out, out the opinion that he was out of God's will to go seek a wife among the Philistines. So what does this mean? That his mom and dad, though, it's like they missed the point. No, I think what's happening is, is that they did not realize, his mother and father did not realize that at this age, how old is Samson here? Is he 19? Is he at the apex? I don't know. Is he 20, 21? Is he 17, 18? He's old enough to, to feel like a man and be a man and ready to take a wife. And so his parents, what it's saying is his parents did not realize that God was beginning to stir his heart for his calling on earth, which was to lead Israel against the Philistines. And so in this context, even though Samson can, still makes bad decisions, God would use Samson to, bring, to wreak havoc among the Philistines, which was God's will. So Samson was an instrument 
of destruction on the Philistines, even in the middle of his bad decisions. I'm of the opinion that Samson never fulfilled his God-giving calling. Samson never completed God's plan for his life. He was short-circuited by the sin in his life, namely for two things. Number one, for disobeying his parents. And number two, for messing around with immoral women. And because of that, he sidetracked himself and he never fulfilled God's plan of blessing for his life. So that's my best explanation of that word right there. I don't think that his father missed something. The only thing he missed was he didn't realize that how much God was stirring in his heart. And so Samson is, is maybe even trying to understand what God was doing and, and, and how he was supposed to do this. And so he was drawn out to try to check out the Philistines. Nevertheless, even if some of this is a compulsion by the Holy Spirit in Samson's life, I'm using him as a model of a rebel because it works well. For my sermon today. So let's read chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people? that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. And I have to stop there and make sure, because you're hung up now, that his mom and dad want him to go to the family reunion to get a date. And that's not what's happening there. They would, in this culture, marry cousins. That's what he meant by relatives. Is there not a cousin that we know and we understand and we're from the same tribe out of Israel? Or among the Israelite nation because God had given specific instruction that they were not to marry or intermarry among their pagan neighbors. Because if they did, the hearts of the men would be turned by their wives to worship false gods. And every time they did, it happened every time the way God said it would happen. Sexual immorality and poor relationships in that way always led to idolatry every single time without exception. Samson, he said, must you go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So God is using Samson at some level here. He's an exception, uh, an exceptional guy because he has a calling of God to destroy Philistines. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with a woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Mm -hmm. And after some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out of his hands and he went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and his mother and he gave some to them. And they ate, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a dead lion. His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there. For so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him groomsmen, so to speak. 
And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and find out, then I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Let's just kind of fast forward. He says the riddle out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. He's just messing around, playing with things. I guess he was bored a little bit. They go all week. They can't figure it out. They pressure his wife. They threaten her father's house to kill and to burn. She becomes very uh, unhappy, crying, wailing, begging him, saying to Samson that he doesn't love her. And he finally tells her the riddle answer in verse 18. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, I love this line, if you had not plowed with my heifer. I think that's pretty politically incorrect. But in other words, you hadn't messed with my woman. You would not have found out my riddle. He becomes very angry. It says in verse 19, then that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife had was given to his companion who had been his best man. We're just going to stop there. So what we're doing now, as I've explained, is we're using Samson as the profile to analyze what a a rebel looks like. Number one, he rejects spiritual and family boundaries. Notice right away it says that he went down to Timnah. Now, whether the Spirit of God was directing him or not, I think that he crossed boundaries. He crossed spiritual boundaries, and he crossed family boundaries. Young people, people who are in rebellion become disrespectful of the spiritual principles, the guiding spiritual principles of your life. You disrespect them and disregard them when you're rebellious. You also will cross family boundary lines. Samson surely did that. He really didn't have any business looking for a girlfriend down among the Philistines. He crossed a line of his family. I'll give you an illustration with us in our home. There was a time when Tasha was in high school and uh, she was a sharp thinker and growing and um, just a a great girl. And she had a teacher who I thought should have known better, but she had a teacher who had high level of influence and began to teach her and other young people that were in her class that it was okay for Christians to drink alcohol. And it was a pretty broad ranging um, Uh, principles that he was teaching, and I felt like it very much violated family boundaries. I personally have a very strong conviction against alcohol. I've never had any to my lips that I know of other than, uh, what is it that you take when you, uh, NyQuil, and um, I think it's about 50 proof, so, and it works well. And so Tasha became very pushy, and she became very testy. And so I needed to explain to her, look, I don't care what your teacher says. I don't, but my teacher says that the Bible says you can do this and you can do that. And bop, bop, bop. And I said, but, but you need to know at our house, in our family, this is where the line is. And that's what we do. And see, that's what Samson's doing. And if you get in trouble with your mom and dad, that's one of the things you're doing. You are pushing the boundaries, both of the spiritual and the family lines that have been drawn to guide that your parents have implemented to guide you. They're there for a reason. By the way, the parent tip there is very important. And it is this. Rules without moral reason 
almost always result, result in rebellion. You understand that? If, if your child does not understand the moral reason why we have this rule, a very simple way to understand this is if you have a child and you don't let them go play out in the traffic, why don't you let them go play out in the traffic? Because they could get run over and kill your child and then you have a funeral and then you have no more child. That's a very good reason to put a fence up and say, don't go there. But the child might or might not know. But when they get older and a child doesn't need, we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, a younger child doesn't, they don't always need to know the moral reason why. They just need to know that mommy and daddy said so. But you know, when it comes to a teenager, they don't like that, that mommy and daddy said so. I don't really care what my mommy and daddy said. And so rules without moral reason almost always spark rebellion in the heart of a child. So I sat Tasha down. I said, Tasha, listen. Let me tell you stories of what I, let me tell you about sweeping up glass on kitchen, other people's kitchen floors and furniture being busted up and wood stoves turned over in the living room from drunk dads. Let me, let me tell you why I think it's really important. Let me tell you about the kid who used to play trumpet right next to me in band, who a week after graduation drove his Chevy pickup truck into an oak tree and the oak tree absolutely did not move. And now he's six foot under one week after graduation because it was cool to drink. I'm telling you, it's not cool to drink. And when you're in my house, we don't drink because we just don't want to go there. There is nothing good that comes from alcohol. That's it. That's it. That's my family rule. And I wanted her to understand that. And I think she got it. At least I think she knows it now. As far as I know, she never crossed that line. I don't know. I don't want to ask her. She's a good girl now. She was then too. Similarly, rules without relationship almost always cause resentment. You understand that, right? When I am out of touch with my children, I'm not spending any time with my children. I don't have relationship. My ch- I'm not communicating love to my children. It's very difficult. You are then just a legalist. Do this. Do that. You're the general. You're not a loving father, a loving mother. So I think you understand. And number two, he seeks out unwise, ungodly personal relationships. He seeks out unwise, ungodly personal relationships. Notice what Samson does. Not only does he cross spiritual and family lines when he heads down to Timnah, he violates another very important principle and he rebels against the training of his father and mother and he... He begins to connect with people at a most personal level who are people that are not healthy to have in his life. We're reminded of a progress or a progression that takes place in Psalm 1, by the way. You don't have to turn it over, just listen closely because I'm getting a fly now. Psalm 1, 1 says what? Blessed is the man who does not walk, we should turn there. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinner or sit in the counsel of God, I messed it up. But you understand what I'm saying? First, he walks with sinners. Then he stands with sinners. And then he sits with sinners. What do we have here? We have a gradual progression, don't we? We have a gradual progression. He walks. That's attraction. That's attraction. I like these people. I'm going to walk their direction. I'm going to go where they go. Secondly, what does he do? He stands with the sinners. That's interaction. That's communication and interaction. I am now connecting with them. Thirdly, what does he do? He sits down with them. 
He sits with them. That's identification. That is who he has become. This is me. This is my friends. Don't put down my friends. I think that's a common line you're going to hear with a rebellious teen. You hate my friends. I hate you because you hate my friends. Well, do you know, listen to me, young people, especially moms can pick up on this gradual shift. It doesn't happen overnight. And they recognize, who did you tell me you were going to be with? Really? I didn't know they were your friend. Oh, yeah, we've been hanging out a little bit. I ate with them yesterday in the cafe. And your mom knows. Moms have antennas that like pick up things. When Johnny was a little boy and I already paid him all the cash that was in my pocket when he walked in. When Johnny was a little boy, Janet used to catch him doing stuff he wasn't supposed to do. And he would like, how did you know? And she would tell him, I have eyes in the back of my head. And one day he came up behind her and he looked in her hair to see if he had eyes, if those eyes were there. And now he just knows like me that mom's always right. I don't know what it is in moms and relationships, but they know. They know whether a relationship is good for their kids. And so young people, one thing if you would do is humble your heart and just listen to your mother. 99.9% of the time, she's right. I had one young woman walk out and she said, my mom wasn't right. The first time I dated my husband, she said, I don't think that boy's for you. I don't know. I don't know what the mom thinks today even. Seems like a pretty good guy who's coming along. God is good and he's merciful. But you better listen to your mom. Proverbs 1.10 says, do not be enticed by evil friends. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good morals. This is enticing and dangerous. Thirdly, he's characterized by disrespect. Notice the disrespect in this passage. His dad says to him in verse 3, Well, he comes home in verse 2. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. It was the father's job to arrange the marriage. But I don't think that that came across very respectful. His father says to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among Israel that you could take a wife? Why do you have to go to the uncircumcised? And he says to his father, Get her for me. She's right in my eyes. I don't like the tone of this guy. And I think one thing you'll find is that in profiling a, a rebel, they will always be disrespectful to the authorities in their lives. They won't like teachers. They won't like cops. They won't like pastors. He's characterized by disrespect. Notice that he is demanding. He's demanding, get her for me. It's inappropriate for a child to make demands of their parents. That's a sign of a rebellious hard heart. It's rude. I remember one time when I was a youth pastor, I was working with this guy. He was, he was a mess. He was a big kid. He was at the apex. He was about 19. He didn't work. He had gotten his schedule turned around. He was nocturnal. He slept during the day. He was involved in all kinds of sin. His mom couldn't handle him anymore. He, she had him living with his grandparents, and he abused his grandparents. And I came through one afternoon. They would call me. Would you please go over and see if you can do something with him? They would call me in the middle of the night and say, please come over. It's wrecking the house. And I went over one afternoon to pick him up. And I had a pretty good relationship with him. And, 
And he had gotten up and he hadn't had anything to eat. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon. And so he wanted me to swing through. He wanted something to eat and he didn't like what was in the house. And so he wanted me to take him to the gas station and get hot dogs. Sure, no problem. And he asked his grandfather for some money. He didn't have any money because he didn't work. And when his old grandfather reached in his pocket and I was standing right there, he handed him a few $1 bills. They fell on the floor and he screamed at his grandfather, pick them up. And that moment, I almost didn't become your pastor. <laughs> I almost went to the state, to the federal or state penitentiary for the rest of my life. I didn't touch him, but I got in his face. There's something about that disrespect and young people. Don't. Don't do that. It's clearly hardness of heart. It's demanding. He was dishonoring. He dishonored the wishes of his father. He didn't have ears to hear. And he was doubting his father, wasn't he? Let her see. He was doubting his father. You don't really know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. Listen, your father might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night, right, Lonzo? He rejects wise counsel. It's in the same context, isn't it? Verse 3. You shouldn't do this. This is wise counsel. It's not only the wise counsel. Uh, it, is, it is the rejection of letter A, parental counsel. And this really matters. This is the point of the message. Letter B, it, he rejected spiritual counsel. And this is also a big deal because the elders of his land and the spiritual leaders of his land had taught him. Samson knew what he was supposed to do and not do. And he rejected spiritual leadership in his life. But let's focus on parental counsel that he rejects here. Look at Exodus 20, verse 12. I want you to turn in your Bible with me now and, and um, let's just um, take a look at some passages of Scripture here quickly. And you'll find it helpful and easy to understand. We begin in Exodus chapter 20, which is the listing of the Ten Commandments. And notice that in Exodus 20, verse 12, on the Ten Commandments, it says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This was the Israelites heading into the promised land. God gives them a list of guidelines, rules, commandments. Do this. They weren't suggestions. And it says, do this. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land. That is what Paul quoted in Ephesians chapter 6. You don't have to keep, turn to Ephesians Keep your, keep your Bible open to Exodus because we're coming right back to it. But in Ephesians 6.1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, parentheses, this is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. See, he's quoting from Exodus chapter 20. And so what we have here is we have... A stated concept that if you obey and honor your parents, that will make your life go well. It's an axiom. It's a principle of truth. So what you have to understand is what I put there. You need to note that there is an implicit converse stated. If it's saying that if you obey and honor your parents, it will go well with you, implicitly stated is the converse reality that if you do not obey your parents, it will not go well for you. And that is true. And it is so true in Samson's life. He lived, young people, a wretchedly miserable life. 
Exodus 21 across the page says in verse 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Young men, listen to me. Don't ever hit your dad because it'll haunt you the rest of your life. I never hit my dad, but I swung at him one time when he swung at me. I was about 17 and I was being really stupid. If he takes a swing at you, get out of the way. If he's got his hands on you already, you're in bad shape. Don't hit your dad, boys. God condemns it. You'll never forget it if you do it, and you will always regret it the rest of your life. He says in verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. I mean, is it just me or is this really strong language? Turn to Deuteronomy verse tw- chapter 21 and look at this. Deuteronomy 21, look what it says in verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father, Deuteronomy 21, 18, he will not obey the, boy- the voice of his father or his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your minds and all Israel shall hear and fear. And I say, whoa. I don't know if this ever was carried out. I don't know. I didn't read where there's any record of it. There is not a record of it in Scripture. The closest thing we have to it is God's command to stone adulterers and adulteresses. And in the New Testament, in the life of Christ, we have Jesus interrupting a group of men who at least think are thinking about stoning a woman for adultery. And Jesus interrupts that party. I'm really glad that Jesus interrupted his own laws. You see, young people, this is, this is a theocracy. This is a time when Israel was living under no king, no president, no parliament. They had a mouthpiece for God's law, Moses. And Moses was simply telling them, God leads us, God rules us, and this is his rule. So when God had a nation and he set up a system, he set up the system that you're supposed to get stoned to death if you curse your father and your mother, if you strike your father, if you're rebellious and you're a drunkard and a glutton and you won't cooperate with your parents and you won't give in, they can drag you out to the city gates and stone you to death. Are you glad you live in New Testament times? Absolutely. So now to Proverbs 30, 17, to the point of our sermon screen, so that you understand where this came from. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17, and we will move through the final blanks in the notes and make sense of it. Proverbs 30, verse 17, look what it says. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. I take that to be a direct a direct reference to the death penalty on rebellious teenagers who are then left under the rock pile and the vultures figure it out and peck out their eyes. That's what vultures eat on dead animals first. Young people, listen to me. This is what I meant by there could be like a negative feeling to the message. All I'm trying to do is I want, I want you to understand that in, in 
the way God created the home and the family, there is no room for rebellion against our parents. And some of you have godly, precious parents who are doing their very best to guide you, and you hate them for it. And I say, knock it off. Or you're gonna, you are going to open for yourselves a floodgate of destruction and devastation upon yourself. And it's possible you could even be in this room, if you're listening in the room now, or on the internet later, someone would say, Pastor Van, I don't care what you say, I would say to you, okay, you just mark down, today's the day you heard it. And there will be a day when you will look back and you will say this, you will say, Pastor Van was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. And I'm not right because I'm so smart. I am right because I'm, God's word is right. And I have worked with a lot of young people. And I won't take time to talk about it. I do have a whole lesson that I like to share with teenagers when I speak at retreats and camps. Of the blessing of obedience. And I share a number of things about my life that I don't deserve. That the only thing I can figure out is that it's because I never really dishonored my mom and my dad. I loved them and I obeyed them. And I think the only answer has to be, it has gone well with me because of that. It's amazing. Spiritual leadership, this is a big deal as well. You can read about it. You are to obey your spiritual leaders. Let's finish off the back page, okay? Um, Number five, he is wise in his own eyes. He refuses to accept no as an answer. To be wise in your own eyes is to be overly confident, self-reliant, and closed to the input of others, especially those who are older with more life experience. Do you realize how arrogant it is at age 14, 15, or 16 to tell somebody who's 42 years old that they don't know what they're talking about? The fact of the matter is you barely know what you're talking about. You think you know a lot, but that's what it means to be wise in your own eyes. That's Samson. Samson's like, you can't tell me. I know what I want. I saw her. I know what I want. And so he's wise in his own eyes. Parent tip there. Speak encouraging words often to your children. But one of the dynamics that creates children who are wise in their own eyes is when we elevate them with our words beyond what is reality. Uh, Some of you don't want to hear this, and I want to be very careful because it's a touchy thing. But um, uh, you can tell a kid that he's good to try to encourage him, and then he begins to believe that he's good when he's really not good, and then... When he's around other people, he is arrogant because he thinks he's good, but he's not good. It might be soccer or it might be playing a a horn and band or something, and, and he stinks at it. But you love him so much, and you just want to encourage him, and you keep telling him, you're good, you're the best. And so he shows up for practice for varsity sport in ninth grade. He thinks he's the best, and he doesn't know that he can't play the game. And then he has to experience the hard way, what it means to to, to elevate himself in his own thinking. This principle applies in a lot of different areas. You just have, you want to be loving, you want to be encouraging, but you got to be somehow honest with your child. You don't want to tell them things that aren't true about themselves because they begin to believe things that aren't true about themselves. And then they think they know more than they really know. Or that they're better than they really are. They don't have a properly defined reality about their lives. 
He's driven, number six, by his physical appetites. And and back in Judges, in verse 9 of chapter 14, we have this word picture going, and he returns back down to do the feast. He's going down for the wedding feast, and he goes over to see the carcass. I take it that the possums and things have eaten the flesh off this lion. The sun has baked it. Some weeks have gone by. Uh, A hive of of bees have come in there. They've They've made honey. He goes over there, and he violates his vow. He touches the carcass to get the honey. He's walking along, and you just kind of see bees stinging him, and he doesn't care, and he's just like... That's what I picture. Heading down, going to go get his woman, licking honey off his elbows. And what do you have? You just have a guy who's driven by his appetites. His physical appetites dominate him. Indulging appetites in one area sets up for failure in other areas. This is so true of Samson. He never bridles his appetites early in his life, and he lives unbridled with his appetites and drives later in his life, and it destroys him. Young people, listen to me. One of the best things you can do is learn how to deny yourself at an early age and practice that. Learn to tell yourself no. He casts aside spiritual convictions and decisions made early in life. This is the profile of a rebel, remember? The profile of a rebel, he's going to reject spiritual and family boundaries. He's going to seek out unwise, ungodly relationships. He's going to be characterized by disrespect. He's going to reject wise counsel regularly. He is wise in his own eyes. He is driven by physical appetites. Number seven, he casts aside spiritual convictions and decisions that were made early in his life so in 1-8, um, that's not supposed to be 1-8, it was supposed to be 14-8. In chapter 14, verse 8, where Samson messes around with his vow by touching a dead animal, you can change that to 14-8, by, and following, he messes around, he knows, did you, did you catch in the passage that when he gave the honey to his parents that he took, he did not tell them where he got it because it was unclean. They would not have eaten it. But he was messing around with the vow of his youth, his Nazarite vow, and he messes around with that dead animal and that honey out of the dead animal. And later on in chapter 16, he messes around with his hair and she ends up cutting it off on him. And so... He's driven by physical appetites. He casts aside spiritual convictions. Many rebellious teenagers that I have worked with through the years, I can remember when they were 10, 11, 12, baptizing them. I can remember them giving testimony to follow Jesus. And in their teen years, they turned hard against their parents and to God. Rejecting a vow of their childhood. Number eight, he will carry into, these are warnings. These are three things that happened to Samson that, I'm, that continue to profile a rebel, but they're warnings now. He will carry into adulthood uncorrected character flaws. It will not go well with him, and his life will be very difficult due to the lack of blessing of God. So the things that he does in youth and rebellious teen years, if not corrected, get carried into adulthood. An example might be the way he treats The way he treats his mother is the way he ends up treating his wife. That's a little simple example that popped in my mind. Number nine, unless he comes to his senses, he will live a wasted life filled with regrets. I have often, through the years, wondered 
what Samson was thinking when they held him to the ground and they took the white-hot probes and they seared out his eyeballs. And they threw him in a stinking dungeon. And the manure of the oxen that he was lashed to beside squished up through his toes as he worked through a grist mill all day, every day. And he wasn't unhitched to use the bathroom. And the pus seeped out of his eye sockets. And he was barely 40 years old. What a life, Samson. What a life. I wonder what he thought about. I'll tell you what I think he thought. I think somewhere in there, at least once, he thought, I should have listened to my mom and dad. I should have honored my mom and dad. So unless he comes to his senses, and if you're a rebellious teen, unless you come to your senses, you will live a wasted life filled with regrets, like Samson, and in the more extreme cases, the rebel dies a premature death, and you can read the end of the story. God used it to fulfill part of his life purpose, but Samson commits suicide to kill a bunch of Philistines as they spit on him and threw tomatoes, mocked him. What a story. What a, what a divided heart this man had. What, what a careless attitude he had towards authority and towards his parents. Quickly, in conclusion, number one, don't dare God. You will regret it. Number two, know that your parents are not out to ruin your good times. Know that your parents are not out to ruin your good times. Number three, you don't believe this, but the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. They are the greatest blessing of your life. And I challenge young people to commit to understanding and living out and obeying God's word. It will transform you. It doesn't mean you won't be frustrated with your mom and dad some days. One of the parenting principles, wasn't it? I didn't mention it is for us as parents to understand the difference between a rebellious heart and childlike immaturity that shows up even at 17, 18, and 19. So we can tell the difference. Are they being really rebellious or are they just doing dumb things because they're young? You've got to know the difference. Number four, remember that the blessing of God is regulated through your parents. That is a very important principle. In other words... If you don't honor your parents, you cannot honor God. And if you don't honor God, you likely won't honor your parents. But the blessing of God is regulated down through your attitude towards your parents. So young people, that's my challenge to you. It really was a message preached in love, not in any kind of anger. And I trust you'll take it to heart. Will you stand with me and let's close in prayer. And thank you for your patience today.